Welcome to episode 329 of X-Lapsed Where today, uh, I think they call it uh, Swallowing the Frog I think that's what we're doing today um, Today we're coming up against uh, something I considered a roadblock in our coverage uh, A book I wasn't too keen on having to uh, discuss And I tell you what, um, <laughs> this ain't gonna win me any popularity contests or anything But uh, it took me several attempts to both get through this story and actually sit down to write about it. Um, we're not going to have a whole lot to say after the spoilery synopsis, because, uh, well, there just isn't all that much to say. But uh, when we're through with Secret X-Men, I do have something special for the uh, back half of this episode here that I think... Well, actually, I shouldn't say I think everyone will enjoy, because I don't think anybody enjoys anything I do. But um, it'll leave us on a high note. I'll, I'll put it that way. But uh, before we get to that, we got to get to a Secret X-Men. So let's do it right now. This is Secret X-Men number one, April 2022, cover date. The story is called The Secret X-Men. Written by Tini Howard, with art by Francesco Mobley. Colors, Jesus Abertov. Uh, letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of... Head of X, Hickman? Didn't we get rid of... What? Okay, head of X Hickman. Um, edits, Amaro White Sabolski. Cover price, $5. You'll never see again. And this one went on sale February 9th of 2022. Now, we open, and it's the Great Ornithary Festival of Chandelar. It's here we join Roberto da Costa, who will be going by Beto, or Beto, for the entire issue. Uh, he's macking on some bird-looking woman. Just then, his bird-looking woman arrives at the party and is none too pleased. Uh, this is Deathbird, of course, and uh, she and Bobby were a, you know, sort of kind of item during the Hickman New Mutants arc, and possibly beyond that, I, I can't remember, nor do I really care. Anyway, she's not here for any hanky-panky and doesn't seem all that interested in Bobby's infidelity. She's only here because, well, Bobby's been telling everybody, all the bird ladies, that he is the leader of the X-Men. He's trying to, you know, get in, get into their feathers, I guess. Um... Now, as such, as he is the leader of the X-Men, old DB's got a mission for him. You see, you know, stop me if you heard this one before, um, there's been a threat on the life of the little Majestrix, Xandra. Uh-oh. And yes, again. And again, again. This is her only friggin' story. I swear we've read this exact story, like, twice this year. Anyway, the Shi'ar precogs, Oracle and Delphios, uh, they see this threat looming. And so Deathbird needs the X-Men to help out. And since Sunspot says he's the leader of the X-Men, yada, 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 yada. This takes us to our double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Our characters today include 
Sunspot, Cannonball, Banshee, Forge, Boom Boom, Armor, Tempo, Marrow, Strong Guy, Deathbird, Smasher, and Gladiator. From here we go to an info page, and hey, you know what? I think it's been about three and a half seconds since we've last talked about the friggin' Hellfire Gala, right? So we gotta make up for some lost time here. Uh, this is an email from Beto to all the losers of the X-Men election. The first one. You know, the election that wasn't actually an election in the comics, and only for the fans to vote on on social media. The one that, in the books, in the narrative, every mutant was a candidate for. You know, that one. Yeah. So he's sending this email to get them all together for this Deathbird mission. And uh, worth noting, some of the Krakoan email addresses are pretty dumb and not nearly as funny as I think they're supposed to be. But uh, anyway, we get back to comics, and we are at the Guthrie home in Chandelar. Here, Beto is trying to talk Sam into doing the thing. And, and Beto. Has Berto ever been called Beto before? I mean, he's been around nearly 40 years now. Is this something like Hickman introduced during Avengers World? I mean, not that I assume anybody involved in the creation of this book had read anything X pre-2019. But, I mean, come on, he's been around for 40 years. Now, whether or not Beto is, like, the right way to uh, shorten his name or give him a nickname, uh, he's been Berto for 40 years. I, I mean, I might be getting stuck on this, but honestly, it probably wouldn't have even registered for me if they didn't have the word Beto in here about 700 times. I mean, it's used <laughs> quite a bit here. Yeah, I'm to the point now where I'm pretty sure, like, a typesetter could slip in, like, take the X-Men were created by Stan and Jack, like, off the credits page and put the X-Men were created by Jonathan Hickman, and editorial probably wouldn't even notice. And even if they did, they probably wouldn't argue. You know, it's... Anyway, Sam and Berto indulge in a few panels worth of, uh, you know, Alvaro team discussion here, which is the old X-Lapsed favorite and the code for who could put together the wackiest crew of Xers, right? And uh, so Berto's picks are he and Sam as co-captains, naturally, strong guy for muscle, armor for adaptability, Boom Boom and Banshee for sexiness. That's what he really says. Why do, why do I still do this? Um, Marrow is the wild card. Tempo as the reset button if things go sideways. Now Sam immediately recognizes these folks as being the same as the losers from the real world Hellfire Gala vote. Is there some sort of, like, meta thing that I'm missing, or am I just thinking too hard? Or does creative, like, really not realize how the real-world vote and the in-comic election weren't the same thing? Okay, okay, let's just move along here. Uh, now, the team shows up, and there's some snark passing off as comedy, uh, and before Berto can address them, uh, Smasher shows up to somehow make this issue even less fun. Uh, she's joined by Gladiator, who reports in that Deathbird has abducted Xandra. And you know what? Credit where it's due. Sam's response to this is, Oh no, uh, again? Which might be the best line Teeny's ever written. So this really doesn't change our mission all that much, because Sunspot is still planning on dealing with whatever threat looms over Xandra's little head, and he's also going to be crossing paths with Deathbird regardless. So the point to this added layer is... I don't know. It's probably planting seeds for stories yet to come that I'm not terribly interested in. Anyway, Gladiator and Smasher, they leave the boys to it. Sam's worried that his horrible wife is going to yell at him if he goes along with whatever crackpot idea that Berto has in mind. And he tells him to keep it a secret. Ooh, he said... No, he didn't actually say it. He just said, he just said that uh, Sam shouldn't tell her. 
which I guess, you know, we're going we're to, you know, split, split hairs here. Uh, back to the crew. Uh, Sunspot addresses his team, and yes, we do get a to me, my X-Men. Uh, now, they're as confused as I am. You know, they got a hunt for Deathbird, but she's the one who gave him the mission in the first place. Bobby pops into monologue mode here to hype up himself and the team. Uh, Forge then calls in a ship they can use, and, as luck would have it, uh, he must have some precog abilities because he crafted new secret X-Men costumes for the entire team. Huh. In fairness, the costumes do look pretty cool. It's just kind of insane that they'd exist. And, you know, these aren't like the Muir Island Saga boilerplate blue and yellows. You know, these are personalized. Like, Banshee has his cape. Boom Boom's got her trench coat. I mean, this there was some thought put into this thing here. And, I mean, Strong Guy is huge, so you have to have one that's his size. It's probably a, you know, fool's errand to um, complain about convenience <laughs> in a comic book. Uh, thankfully, I am a fool. Anyway, let's get into space because we're not even at the staples yet. Uh, Once um, somewhere in deep space, the team decides to get into battle stations or battle formation for some reason. The threat isn't even here yet. It will be soon, just not yet. Uh, Sam, who I might remind y'all is nigh invulnerable when he's blasting, and yeah, we do get an ironic mention of that here, along with armor, Guido wearing a Rat King made out of all of the Secret X-Men spacesuits sewn together, which seems... Wasteful and dangerous, but I guess we'll allow it. Uh, we also have Marrow. They leave the craft to head into the vacuum of space. Now the geeks remind Marrow that, hey, you can't breathe in space. So she makes a bone spacesuit. A fully functioning bone spacesuit. So, hmm. I suppose if we ever find ourselves like in a vacuum or in a situation wherein we have no oxygen, we should just cover our mouths and nose with our hand and we'll be fine. I, I think we just solved drowning. How about that? Uh, just then, the Sidri show up. Now, the last time we saw the Sidri in the X-Books was in the confusingly titled Giant Size X-Men Nightcrawler issue. Now, our secret X-Men attempt to fight them off, but are coming up short. It's here that Banshee realizes that he's Banshee. He takes a huge inhale, exits the ship, then goes to unleash a sonic scream, but since this is deep space, his lungs implode and he dies. Wait, no, that's not what happens at all. He actually lets out a banshee cry and beats back the Sidri. Uh, next we know he's lubing his tubes with a cup of hot tea back in the ship. Now, continuing on Deathbird's trail, the secret X-Men arrive on the planet Flatulence, and no, I'm not joking. Um, now, Berto proves to be a great leader by, uh, well, arguing with the senior-most members of his team about how to proceed. They then come up to a wall, which Marrow decides to headbutt, like you do. Then Armor and Strong Guy join in and start beating the hell out of this wall. The wall does crumble away, revealing a vault, but they can't seem to get in. Now, it's at this point that Tempo wonders why Berto didn't enlist the aid of a psychic for his team, because that would come in handy right now. Well, we know why he didn't, because of the stupid vote. But having Tempo actually, you know, verbalize it only makes the entire gimmick of this issue seem all the more stupid. So, how are we going to get into the vault? Oh, I know. Info page. An interactive info page with an acrostic that we have to solve. I suppose we could just file this under, like, too cute by half and, and move along. 
It's not funny in the slightest, though I'm sure it baited several dozen retweets and Instagram shares. Uh, now, the answers here are Gladiator, Shi'ar, Xandra, Deathbird, Oracle, and Chandelar. And each one has a circled letter in it, and the letters are L-S-A-I-E-L. And since I'm nowhere near intelligent enough to unscramble those letters myself, I did pop them into a word-scrambling thing, and uh, the only word that came up was allies. So, I, I guess uh, let's shout allies, and it'll open the vault, and, and hey, it does. Now, what do you think we find inside? What do you think we find? We find a Krakoan gateway. Okay, and then the Sidri attack again, and get beaten within two panels. Then, we're on Deathbird's ship. I'm guessing that's where the Krakoan gate led? Why? I, I, I don't know. Anyway, now Deathbird is there. She's flanked by the Precogs and Xandra, who are all facing the camera as though they were posing to be on the cover of a 1992-era image comic. Then, I I guess a shoe drops. Um, Deathbird reveals that this was but a test. I think. Uh, she first accuses Berto of being in cahoots with Gladiator, who Deathbird and Xandra apparently don't trust at present. I, I think we're planting seeds for a story I don't want to read. Uh, Tempo tells Banshee to move on her mark, to which he looks at her like, who in the F are you? Okay, maybe he doesn't, but he should have. Now, before a big brouhaha can break out, Xandra shouts for everyone to stop. Now, she can read minds and all that, so she knows that these secret X-Men are not working with Gladiator. Now, they might be following his directive, but he's not there with them. Xandra then reveals that she was sorta kinda the secret member of the secret X-Men. So I guess she was the psychic who helped us bust into the vault a few pages back? Maybe? Uh, she also tries to lampshade the whole stupid election loser gimmick of the issue by suggesting that this assemblage of geeks wanted to be X-Men more than anybody else. But wasn't that the point of the whole mind-meld vote anyway? Like, to see who wanted it most? Maybe I'm just punch-drunk at this point. That is certainly a possibility. Anyway, as the dust thankfully begins to settle, the friggin' Sidri attack again. Now this time, one of them impales Deathbird with its, like, extended leg thing, and teleports her away. Why? We're planting seeds, probably. Uh, Guido raises a good question here, asking why the precogs didn't foresee any of this. To which he gets that standard, the future is uncertain type of cop-out reply, which only serves to further underscore their uselessness. Speaking of useless, uh, Xandra then decides to act like a true chip off the old block, and mind-wipes everybody into thinking that they won the day. These X-Men return to Krakoa with their entire adventure being rendered secret. Ooh, she said it. Now, let's never speak of it again. That's where we leave it. Next episode, the Zlato's Lato Halfway Point, X-Lives 3. And uh, this is usually where we hop into uh, into talking time. Um, must we? <laughs> I, I, re I really don't have anything to say here. And... You know, it might sound like I'm coming down hard on this issue, but I don't see this issue as being... You know, it's not like it's a bad issue. It's an issue of its time, which is to say that just comics are changing. You know, comics are not what they used to be. Uh, you know, I don't have anything to say about the actual story. The story is... Well, to be completely blunt, it was um, just an oddly strung-together assortment of scenes in which characters did cool things in short bursts, uh, the size of which could be shared on social media to Karma Farm. Uh, 
I mean, that's... It's hard to hold that against this book since that's just what comics are kind of becoming. You know, we're no longer concerned with telling a good story. We don't need things to make sense. Continuity doesn't matter. I mean, when things go against continuity, who even mentions it anymore? You know, um, we're not concerned with that. I think as far as the creators and editorial are concerned, so long as there are people sharing, liking, reblogging, retweeting the images, uh, even though these are books they're probably not buying and supporting, then it's a win. And uh, this was that. And not much more. You know, we had these two cute by half bits there that I'm sure got some traction online. But you string them together and try to make a story out of it? Not only does it feel pointless, because, I mean, this was a pointless issue, but it also didn't have too many things that redeemed it, at least not for me. Uh, the art was nice, <laughs> I'll give it that much, but um, as far as the story's concerned, uh, would, it be, would it be trite for me to say that this one should have been kept secret? Probably, so I won't. Overall, it was kind of a chore. And like I said at the jump, that's not going to win me any popularity contest, but uh, I'm also not going to lie to you. Did not like it. Hopefully our mileages will vary and you'll like it more than I did, but uh, I can only speak for myself. But that's enough of that. Uh, let's go to something completely different. A little bit of axe prep. A-X-E prep. Um, now, of course, we know we have the big summer crossover event coming up here, the Avengers X-Men Eternals deal. And... Um, Peek behind the curtain, um, we're in some preliminary talks of me talking about that elsewhere, as well as here. So uh, I figured it would probably be in my best interest to do a little bit of homework here. I think a lot of us know the Avengers. Even if we're not reading the Avengers, we know, like via osmosis, <laughs> what the Avengers are, what they're about, what they've done. The Eternals, well, I hear there was a movie last year about them, but I mean, we don't talk about that stuff here. I feel like uh, I feel like less folks know uh, the broader strokes of the Eternals, and I include myself among that number. I have many, many issues of Eternals for some reason. It's like I have many issues of Legion. I, I have hundreds of issues of Legion superheroes. Probably have read five of them. <laughs> I don't know what. I think it's just because they were so cheap in the bins, and that's the same thing for Eternals here. Before movie announcements were made, nobody gave a rat's ass about the Eternals, and I guess. My ear is not all that close to the ground, but I would guess that uh, it might still be somewhat similar, you know. But like I said, I thought it would be a good idea to um, get, you know, a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of background on uh, at least this volume of Eternal, since it will be the one that is included in the AXE story. Now, this won't be a deep dive on... This won't be like a fake-ass comics history on Eternals here, because I might do something like that when we cover the Free Comic Book Day Axe prologue, preview, whatever the hell it's going to be. Whenever, you know, whenever Free Comic Book Day is, I don't I don't remember off the top of my head because I really don't pay attention to that. But in order to lay a foundation here, I do want to cover the entirety of the first issue of this current run of Eternals. So uh, without any further ado, let's do the thing. This is Eternals, Volume 5, Number 1. Had a March 2021 cover date. The story is called Only Death is Eternal, Part 1. Written by Kieran Gillen, with art by Asad Ribic, whose name I hopefully said almost right. Um, colors, Matthew Wilson. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Edits, Shan brevort Sabolski. Cover price, $5. This one went on sale, well, over a year ago, January the 6th of 2021. Now, we open with Icarus emerging from 
a not-gold ball. Hmm, he was dead, but now he's not, and this has happened countless times before. He's asked by a disembodied voice to name the principles. Now, his reply is to protect celestials, protect the machine, and to correct excess deviation. We learn that he remembers his death, and actually all of his deaths, and he also remembers the deaths of his fellow Eternals. Now, the camera pans back, our shot opens up, revealing that we're in a place called the Exclusion. Now, this is a place sealed between six artificial molecules secreted beneath the South Pole. The disembodied voice reports that there's been some sort of terminal malfunction, and as such, it would like to put Icarus through the paces of a test. Icarus refuses, claiming not to have the time or interest in the, uh, in the endeavor there. Uh, he asks who else is alive, and he learns that he himself was the last one to die the last time around, and so he's the last to come back, which is to say everybody is alive. Double page spread of ketchup roll call and cred. Now we're given the quick and dirty on the Eternals, and it goes a little something like this. Back in the extremely long ago, space gods came to Earth, and they made a hundred Eternals and a hundred Deviants. Then they left. Shrug. That's not me shrugging, by the way. Um, they actually included one of those weird shrug emojis here. I don't know why, but okay. Uh, now, this is an odd roll call, because it lists places, and then the Eternals who live there. And I tell you what, if I'm being honest, just the sight of these places causes me to fight back a yawn. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. I gotta chant the mantra, at least they're not the Inhumans. At least they're not the Inhumans. Um, now, apologies, I'm only gonna name the places, and not the 100 Eternals, because ain't nobody wanting to hear me fumble through that. I can't say real words right, let alone these made-up ones. Uh, now, the places include Olympia, Polaria, The Exclusion, The Oceanic Watch, The Celestian Priests, Titanos Hermits, the Lemurian Mission, the Gaian Sisters, the Tricks, the Forgotten, the Hex, the Damocles Foundation, which I remember from, I think it was the John Francis Moore X-Force back around the turn of the century. Then again, I think there were deviants involved in that as well, so that makes sense. Uh, and also a, an unknown location that's just called Location Unknown. We come back to comics, and Icarus is contacted by Zurus. Now, Icarus is annoyed that there's been so much talking to this point, and he really just wants to hit something. Zorus orders Icarus to free someone. Now, Icarus warns that whatever happens next is going to be Zorus's fault. But that ain't no thing to the big Z, though, because lots of stuff is his fault already. Anyway, the narrator, otherwise known as The Machine, tells us how there are situations in which an Eternal in and of itself can be considered a mistake. And these mistakes are excluded. Now, if we flip back a few pages to the credits, we can see the residents of the exclusion, and they include, oh boy, Erlusiva, Luciva, Erlusiva, Charon, then excluded K, excluded SP, excluded U, excluded S, excluded A, excluded H, excluded E, and excluded T. Now, I can't claim to know who any of these folks are, but the machine tells us that excluded U was the first one to be excluded. Now, you strayed from the primary directive of the Eternals. Now, rather than just trying to take out Deviants, you tried to take out anything that wasn't Eternal. Now, the exclusion we're about to meet is SP, which stands for Sprite. Now, Sprite was a male trickster Eternal back in the long ago, but has been not gold-balled as a female. She's been restored to what was considered her last safe non-cerebro backup. 
so she doesn't remember anything from the past several years of his, her life, and I don't know how many lives that might cover. Sprite pulls some Catch Me If You Can, which Icarus does not have the patience for. Zerus checks in, and Icarus reports the chaotic resurrection. The machine then reveals that Icarus's eye beams are now operational, and Sprite's illusion fields are as well. Sprite then flees through a non-Krakoan gate, and Icarus follows. From here we go to not an info page? We're getting info pages? Okay. Uh, this is about the machine, and it's uh, more eternal locations pointed out on a globe. Uh, Titanos is in northwest Canada. Oceana is in the middle of the Pacific. Celestia is in Chile. The Exclusion, well, we know that's in Antarctica, the South Pole. Polaria is in northern Russia. Olympia is in Greece. We get back to comics, and we are in New York City. Now, Sprite takes in the sights and is pretty wowed by all of it. Icarus gets her to uh, well, settle her tea kettle long enough for her to inquire as to what she had done to get excluded. Now, he explains that she grew bored of being a child eternal, and then nearly destroyed the machine while attempting to free herself from it. Just then, our heroes are greeted by Iron Man. Now, Tony greets the Eternals by asking if they're going to freak out again. Not entirely sure what this might be a reference to, probably a story I did not read. Uh, the machine explains that the last time Stark saw the Eternals was as a pile of corpses. Icarus assures Iron Man that they're cool, they're, they're good now, and Tony asks them to have uh, Cersei give him a buzz whenever she can. Sprite wonders aloud if Cersei's been collecting humans again, which must be a reference to yet another story I never read. Then, in mid-sentence, Icarus and Sprite keel over. The machine warns of excess deviation nearby. At this point, Iron Man, he kind of pieces out. He's like, eh, Eternal's Eternal. Do your thing. I'm out of here. And he leaves them while they're seizing. Uh, we follow our heroes into the sewer, where they find themselves in the presence of some sort of deviant horror that is busily draining the life out of a human. From here, we get a couple of pages of clubbering, and the Eternals come out victorious. Now, Sprite has a very fish-out-of-water reaction to, like, everything she sees. And, uh, you know, these bits could have been very, very annoying to read. But uh, Gillen makes it work here. It's done quite well. Uh, it's not to the point where, like, it, it doesn't really insist upon itself, if, if that's not too pretentious a way to explain it. Uh, Sprite here is, um, uh, is, very, is a very genuine uh, reaction to all of this new and novel. I, I like it quite a bit. Now, from here, we jump to Olympia. Uh, I, I'm guessing through a non-Krakoan gate. Icarus and Sprite arrive to meet up with some of their peers. Now, the former warns the latter to be respectful, and Sprite helpfully reminds our boy that respectful ain't her gimmick. Icarus is greeted by Fastos, who is another Eternal I don't know, and he's advised that Zurus has been killed. Hey, hey, we just talked to him. How can that be? Huh. You might be asking what the murder weapon was, and, uh, well, the murder weapon was a big ol' hand. Zurus's dome was crushed. Now, it's briefly assumed here that Sprite is the one responsible for this. You see, it's revealed that when Sprite acted out, it was Zurus who was forced to murder her, which I suppose uh, might make it stand to reason that Sprite would want revenge. And uh, the thing of it is here, um, unlike the the Krakoan resurrection protocols, when the Eternals die, they remember their deaths. So Sprite would know that Zurus was responsible for their death, right? The only problem here is, uh, well, Sprite's a wee little thing, ain't got no big powerful mitts. Thus, this other Eternal suggests that perhaps Sprite manipulated Icarus into pulling off the murder. This gets him a well-deserved, nose-breaking headbutt. 
Now, Icarus and Sprite move along and are alerted by the machine of a distortion. You see, someone managed to travel through the non-Krakoan gateways without the machine not Krakoa's knowledge. And so it's up to our heroes to travel this uh, distortion wherever it leads. Turns out it leads to Titanos, the ruins of the first Eternal City. The machine gives us a bit of a history lesson and expositional dump while our heroes traverse the crumbling paths. Icarus has a vision of himself apologizing while knelt before the gravestone of a 13-year-old named Toby Robson. Sprite sees it as well and asks who Toby is. Icarus don't know because this event hasn't occurred, and upon seeing it, he vows that it'll never come to pass at all. And we wrap up with our heroes being confronted by the big bad, Thanos. And that's where we leave it. You know something? I liked this a lot more than I thought I would. I really, really did. This was um, this was a pretty good time, you know. Uh, when I thought about dipping my toe into the Eternals pond here, I assumed that I was going to open the book and there were going to be like fifteen characters I didn't know, you know, and I'd have to, I'd have to learn about them, I'd have to care about them, I'd have to be invested in them. But that wasn't the case here. Here, this was focused primarily on Icarus. We met Sprite. We met Zarus. I can say that this was mostly a new reader-friendly first issue, which we don't really get anymore, do we? I, I thought this was a real good way to introduce the concept. Um, even you know, going into things like the info pages here, while it's a lot of information, and a lot of it is overwhelming. Like when I looked at that double-page spread, a roll colon cred, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of names here. You know, and um, while that's very intimidating, it's also... It's world-building, or a sign that there, that a world has been built. And um, the way in which this issue went makes me confident that that we're going to be kind of eased into this. Uh, this is being done... You know, sometimes a book looks like a cash-in, right? I mean, The Eternals had a movie. We need issues of a comic on the shelves when this movie comes out. Usually that turns into a cash-in. Usually it turns into something with no eye toward longevity. It's something that will be there for the blip. And hey, if the movie's a success, we'll launch another volume when the next movie comes out. You know, but this really feels to me like they're laying the groundwork for... With an eye toward longevity. And I appreciate that very, very much. Um, the way the story's being told here doesn't exactly hold your hand, but it doesn't... It also doesn't assume you know everything. And that's a hard thing to pull off, I think. To write something that doesn't insult the longtime reader and doesn't lose the new reader. It's, it's a weird balance to try to find and maintain, and I feel like this issue did that. Of course, I mean, this is just one issue, right? I don't know, it could go off the cliff in either direction next issue, but in as far as a first issue of a... B, C, or D-tier property, this is exactly what you want. This was really, really well done. And what's more, I'm actually inspired to continue reading this volume, which I didn't think was going to be a thing. I thought this was going to be something I did through gritted teeth just as a way to say, okay, here's some backstory when we start talking about AXE. And uh, instead I found something really, really good. I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's Kieran Gillen. It's, uh, you know, it's going to be, at the very least, good, right? Or rather, at the very least, it's going to be very good. So how about we talk about the elephant in the room? Now, this is X-Lapsed, a show that was born out of Hoxpox, um, when things changed for the mutants. 
You know, there were golf balls and uh, gateways and stuff like that. And uh, there were those rumors that uh, the original Hickman pitch was not for the X-Men, but for, well, this other franchise. (laughs) And uh, seeing this play out the way it did, I mean, how can you not spot the similarities, right? The Eternals have their own hatchery and gateways. It's it's interesting, because I heard that there were similarities between the two concepts, but I didn't know enough about the Eternals to... Really say one way or another I probably nodded in agreement Because that's what, you know, stupid people like me do But uh, here You know, firsthand reading it And seeing it And I mean, even just the way the uh, The the issue itself is crafted We have info pages We have the uh, the roll call and cred pa- it's, it's so similar It's very evocative Of the post-Hoxpox X-Men books And um I can only hope that some of these talking points are addressed during the big cross event this summer Because, I mean, they, they almost have to be If they don't, it's... <laughs> they'd have to try not to And I wonder if that's the way this will kick off Maybe these similarities will be brought to light We do know that they're, you know, over in, the, in X-Men Volume 6 People are starting to put the pieces together about the resurrection protocols Could this all be leading to that? Maybe and let's look at the uh, the Avengers element here I, I don't know much about the Jason Aaron Avengers I've tried reading it, I've tried buying it I, It's it's a hard read for me But I do know that, at least for a while Weren't they living or headquartered or based out of a husk of a Celestial? Now since that's one of the principles of the Eternals To protect the Celestials here is this, is this how this all comes together? We've got similarities between the X-Men and the Eternals We have similarities between the Avengers and the Eternals The Avengers and X-Men always are, you know, love and hate So, if this is the case You know, when we first heard about AXE I was very nonplussed, <laughs> to say the least But, if this is the case uh, This might be the best bit of inadvertent natural story progression That Marvel's woven together in decades Organic and natural stories that like come to a huge climax at Marvel are usually inadvertent, right? <laughs> it's like they try not to make it feel organic usually Everything is forced, everything's right now, and and then we forget about it when it's done In this situation though, um, this might actually make sense <laughs> I mean, fingers crossed And I've only read one issue of this Eternal story, but uh, maybe, maybe AXE will make sense and not, you know, suck One last thing I wanted to mention was the art in this issue Which was uh, really, really good for the most part Um, There were certain panels which kind of grossed me out Because it looked like Icarus had like a beard of flesh (laughs) And I had to like flip back and look closely And move my glasses down the tip of my nose To see if like, oh, does Icarus have a beard? No, no, he just has like this like fleshy uh, jowl <laughs> it, it was not pleasant to look at It looked like a meat beard And that's pretty gross But other than that The art was top notch Overall, if you've been avoiding the Eternals If you thought they were boring like I did um, This might be worth a look At least this first issue And uh, see where it goes from there I'm, Like I said, I'm thinking about continuing along with this series I don't think I would uh, you know, make episodes about it, of course, and until we get to ones that are relevant. But there may still be value to the overall X project in you know in reading these uh, these issues because 
They may just add to the uh, to the context and overall experience of uh, of the AV not AVX no AXE storyline AVX. That'll give me that'll give me horrible flashbacks. AXE <laughs> maybe it'll give us context. But uh, since I can't get past my own tongue right now, it's probably time to uh, you know pop a cork in it and uh, just close this one out. Uh, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for any reason, I would love for you to do so. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen. Uh, the email address is weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, and the voicemail hotline is 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on infiniteearths.com, Facebook, 90sXmen. The complete audio archives, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find noise on the internet. And, of course, there is still the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. But I think that'll do it for today. I hope you enjoyed this, uh, you know, this trip into the uh, road not ever traveled <laughs> by your humble host. Hopefully you dug it. Hopefully you got something out of it. I know, I know I dug it and got something out of it. But with all that said, I want to thank you all so much for sharing some of your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. See ya.